Welcome to Valley Community Church. Our Sunday sermons are available online to help you grow in your Christian faith. Our messages are practical and applicable truths from the Bible for today's life challenges. And now, Senior Pastor David Schmaltz. Well, if you go to Greece right now, come Monday morning, they're clearing out the food, they're clearing out the uh, grocery stores, they're getting as much cash as they can out of machines, they're doing whatever they can to protect their own. But honestly, their nation has come to a place of bankruptcy because they've ignored certain biblical truths. And that's what happens when you do that. Uh, without anybody's uh, denial, uh, Greece has taken the pathway of communism. And they have gotten what communism produces. So we are at kind of a crossroads here as a nation to make a decision. And you know what? We can do what we can, and I'm not going to talk about the political side. But as believers, you know, I'm not saying we ignore that, but I'm saying we've got to march to a different drum. We've got to look to our word. We've got to look to our manual that will teach us how to be blessed even during difficult times. In Acts chapter 20, verse 35, Luke writes this as he's recording the disciples in their, their discussion with the early church. He says, remembering the, Lord, the words of the Lord Jesus himself, who said, it is more blessed to give than received. He uses that word blessed. And he gives us that blessed in context. And, of course, we know that Jesus talked about being blessed over and over again and how we can be there and stay there. And, of course, this, again, was in the context of political upheaval, the Jews being surrounded by a completely different nation. They were in slavery for all intents and purposes, allowed to do what they could do under the auspices or the threat that just don't get too excited about being a Jewish person. The church experienced the same kind of control and manipulation, but Jesus said, look, hold on to my words and you will be blessed. And this is one of the keys to blessing that he shared with us. It's better, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Giving opens the door. Let's look at that word blessed. In the Greek, it's makarios, or also translated happy. And that's one we can relate to, can't we? When we think of blessed as kind of a religious word, but yet in time, as you've walked with the Lord, you've come to understand what the word blessed means because you're walking in that. You're saying, yes, I am blessed. But what we need to understand is that ultimately it has a translation to, into our emotions, okay? It's going, I mean, you could say, yeah, I'm blessed. You know, it's really blessed. Well, you're not very convincing when you tell me that you're blessed. But when you're really blessed and you know that you're blessed and you're walking in the blessing of God, it's going to produce joy inside you. When the Greek word can be literally translated happy, the happiness of God is upon me. That's interesting, isn't it? Kind of gives you, opens up some different doors. But that happiness or that blessing is not just for now, but it's forevermore, especially for those who put their faith in God. The concept of God's blessing or the happiness that we can enjoy is something that can be eternal. And that's what we find in the Greek word. It's not just momentary. It's, it's something that doesn't come and go. And we all understand what that is, happiness that comes and goes. Maybe happiness comes in the form of a bottle that comes and goes. 
Maybe happiness comes in the form of going on vacation. I was reading somebody's Facebook post. Man, I'm back. Why can't I just live at the beach? <laughs> and man, we all understand that, don't we? You know, I go to my little cabin in the northern woods, and when I come home, I'm just, don't, nobody talk to me. Nobody talk to me for a month. Leave me alone. Because we've enjoyed that momentary sense of happiness. We all understand that. But what we get from God is this eternal sense. That, in other words, we can get that. We can get a joy. We can get a happiness that settles into our life that does not spoil, does not fade. In another place, Jesus described it. How did he describe it? A fountain of water. Remember that? That would come up and spring up inside our soul. And, it would, and he told the woman at the well, he said, look, I can give you water that will last forever. That's what we're, what we're talking about here. Is enjoying the happiness of God, the blessing of God, and a constant basis. Placed in context, you will be happier when you give. Now, this is something that we need to understand, and that's what we're going with in this series that I'm beginning today, is that there is a happiness that is ours, but it must be activated. It must be walked in. And Jesus said, look, I've got blessing for you. I've got happiness for you. But let me tell you, that is activated when you give. Okay? Now, let's look at this. What he's basically saying is when we're walking in generosity, we're acting most like God. Think about that for a moment. And we'll, we'll break that down. You know, we've, we studied Zacchaeus recently. And uh, you remember the story of Zacchaeus? We won't go through that again, but you, you see that. That when Zacchaeus' heart was full, and when he had come into a contact with Jesus Christ, and he began to feel that sense that he would be even willing to talk to Zacchaeus and stop at his home. He was so full of joy, what did he do? He says, I'm going to give half of, my, half of all of my wealth to the poor. I'm going to do what? Give. Because giving at that very moment, was the best thing he knew how to walk in the happiness that he was receiving. And see, that's the thing that we, we really need to understand as believers. And I think, you know, the world is, there, there is this constant battle in the spirit that on one hand, the world is saying, take, 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 and hoard, and hold on to, this is mine, what's mine is mine, and what's yours is mine, kind of a world, as opposed to everything that we receive comes from God, and that we should be, and we should not hold on to it, and if God asks us to, to give it to those who are in need, then we should be ready to give, because on the other side of that is a constant flow of blessing and happiness. In other words, as John taught us last week, you can never outgive God. You can never outgive God. When you are firmly established in this conviction that all blessing and joy comes from God, then it releases something very deep. He was filled with a joy because of Christ. You know, things built on selfishness are going to crumble in time. And that's something we're learning from our, own, our very own culture here in the United States. It's because we put so much into that. I understand that uh, those who are motivated by socialism and by communism, you know, they look at those who are prospering. And what really, it, it kind of, we kind of bring it upon ourselves that when we see people that are prospering and not being giving, then 
a jealousy and an envy arises. And therefore, people are calling for justice. And so we want to go out there and rather than just try to shame them by writing books like, uh, like uh, uh, The Christmas Carol or, or you know, other you know, types of works, no, now we're burning people's homes down. Now we're marching in the streets. Now we're going to Wall Street and, and sitting there for months on end to try to shame people into feeling bad about being wealthy. You know what I'm talking about. I mean, this is happening in our culture right now. And so, in some ways, wealth can produce that. But there's something so much deeper. Because you cannot change the heart without God. You cannot change a system without conviction that comes from the, the throne of God. Is giving, as we're learning here, giving is a godly thing. It is the most like God to be a giver. And so when we look on and we watch these things, we should not be drawn into envy and jealousy. We should not be ones who pick up the rock or the, the torch. We should not be those who try to shame people to feel badly about having wealth. We should lead by example. Did you hear what I just said? We should lead by example. So what can we learn when we think of blessing and we think about how that blessing can be poured out into our life? From the life of Zacchaeus, we too see two very distinct uh, actions here. We have the action of giving, and then we have the attitude of giving. Both are in action, but let's look at the first one, the action of giving. If the Bible was reduced to the simplest sentence, what would it be? Of course, you've got your notes and you already know the answer. But what would it be? It starts with who? It starts with God. Page one, God. We go to the very end, of course, it's God. But in between is all of this action, and that is God's giving. So if we could make a simple sentence, you've got to have a subject, you've got to have a verb. Is that right, Ms. Uh, Jennifer, the teacher? You've got to have a subject, you've got to have a verb, right? You've got to have all those other things, but you've got to have those two to have what? A sentence, a complete sentence. And we got it. God gave. God gave. That is the whole, that's the Bible all summed up in two words, which is pretty amazing, isn't it? Of so many words, so many books. And simplified, when we think of our response to this book, is this, we give. And you say, well, how does that work out, Pastor David? We give. I mean, I'm still enjoying what he gave. How is my response? We give. Well, look what you've done here today. You've given of your time. You said, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, so I'm going to go to church. You've given this morning. You've given of precious hours of your life. You've come here to worship. You've come to give of your worship to God. You've come to give of your energy and your time. You've come, this worship team has given of their sacrifice of time to come and prepare for us and then for us to enjoy it. That is a response. It's automatic. Isn't it amazing? We just see it. We give. We're here because he gave. And we're here because we give our time and we give our lives. You know, we know that marriage, when we think of marriage, is about selfless giving. It really is. They really boil it down. And it's interesting in this era uh, and when everybody's wondering about marriage and what marriage is, you know, this debate is good. I don't like the way it's all happening. I'm sure you're with me on that. But the truth is, there is a backlash I mean, when the church has experienced almost 65% divorce rate, 
it doesn't appear that we understand what marriage is much really either. And maybe it's time for us to begin to dig. And marriage, we find out, is also about giving. It's about giving. That's what makes it work. That's what unleashes the magic. That's what makes it so powerful. Giving, receiving, giving again. See, the kingdom of God is about giving. And when we give, we experience its power. Yeah, of course it includes our money. Look at Matthew chapter 6, 19 through 21. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. You know, we often just overlook that verse, don't we? Where thieves break in and steal, how much anxiety do people have these days about people stealing their stuff? But store for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Mm. Wow. Think of your treasures for a moment. Just think about your treasures. What do you treasure most? And I'm not just talking about people because, of course, you know the answers. You, you know the answer to the test. But, I mean, I want you to just take away from what you know are your real treasures to think about the, you know, the, the momentary treasures. Think of your car. Think of your home. Think of some of your stuff. Think of the things, the box of treasures that you have. Whatever you treasure, where, where are they? Because that is where your heart is. That is where your heart is. What you polish, what you take care of, what you love and put your emotion and your time into, that is your treasure. And the Bible tells us that is where your heart resides. Because see, your heart follows your treasure, your focus, your passion. See, Jesus tells us to be careful. He says, invest, where? In eternity. That's what he's saying there. I mean, we can just look over that verse and just pretend it doesn't exist, but it's there. He says, don't store up for yourself treasures here on earth where moth and rust destroy. And how much anxiety, how much you know, do we allow ourselves to get caught up in that reality You know, when we think of our earthly treasures? And Jesus said, don't go there because with that comes a lot of struggle because your heart is invested there. Your passion is invested there. Your focus is invested there. So what he's saying is, look, in contrast to that, store up treasures in heaven because that's where your passion is going to be. Do you wonder why you don't think about heaven as much? That's because we haven't really stored up very many treasures there. Hmm, makes some sense, doesn't it? makes a lot of sense. He's saying, look, so how do we store up in, you know, those treasures? Well, well, we'll get to that. So he says, then he says, where your treasures are, if you've invested in, in reality, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, in eternity, then your heart is going to follow that. If you have no real passion for God, no real heart, it's because we're not investing in eternity. So where do you do, where, what do you do with the treasures? Of course, we check on them our stocks, our bonds, our investments. You know, if you're wise, you've got a retirement plan you've been working on, even if you've just chipped away at it a little bit of time. Although, it's interesting, I think it's, I forgot what the percentage is, I think it's like 60 or 70% of Americans have no retirement plan. It's not a good idea, by the way. 
But what we do with those things is we check on them. We check on our investment property. We keep them clean and polished. We do all those things. But if what we have, we don't treasure it to the point of saying, you know, I'm going to hold on to this. There are times when we've got to treasure and God says, you know what? You like that thing way too much. And so what I want you to do is invest it. Invest it. How, God? By giving it away. And by giving it away, it actually gets invested in heaven. And that is the crazy thing about the kingdom of God. It's because then it is stored up there. How many times do we go, I mean, do people go to heaven and they get there and they say, rats, I didn't save up enough here. I left so much down on the earth. Because we can't, what is the old saying? Can't take it with you. You know what I'm talking about. But in reality, you can if we think about what Jesus said here. When he says store up treasures in heaven, what on earth is he even talking about there? I mean, there is no, I don't, I'm not aware of any, you know, uh, heaven's savings and loan that I can literally transfer some money into. I don't know about such a thing. But what he's saying is, look, you're going to invest in heaven when you do kingdom things here. It's because it's more blessed to give than to receive. And when we give, when we loosen up, when we, we stop thinking in terms of just, you know, one-dimensionally, but we start thinking of eternity, then there's something that totally unleashes inside us. What really I think believing a, a, becoming a kingdom person is all about, living with an ownership, but not here, but in heaven. See, that way we're really treating heaven the way we should treat heaven. We treat eternity the way we do treat and should e treat eternity. I could say so much more about that, but I've got to move on. But storing up treasures, storing it up, we look at our treasures, what we put our blood, our sweat, our tears into, all stored up in heaven. That's why when we do switch over to things that are more kingdom, like our children, realizing that that has an eternal benefit. By storing up, by loving people and caring for people, family members, and by investing our life into the church. Don't think, see, a lot of times I see that when, when you say, look, could you help us here? And people's like, you know, look, I don't have time. So what you're telling me is you don't have time to store up anything eternally. You don't have any time. And what you're telling me is, you know, you are not wanting to do the wisest thing. And that's fine. I mean, you know, nobody's here to, to make you feel badly about that because we've all done that. We've all made choices to say, you know what, I'm, I don't really want to invest right now. You got 500 bucks from the IRS and you're flashing it around. And your best friend comes alongside you and says, you know, you really need to take about 30% of that and, and save it. Huh? I don't want to save that. I know where I want to spend it right now. I've been praying to the Lord for this shiny new whatever. I'm ready to go get it, right? But wisdom is dictating, so you really should invest some of that. You should put some aside that away because it is going to what? It's going to bear interest. It's going to grow. It's going to have impact later. And that's all wise. That's all good stuff. We, we should all be doing that. But the same concept, concept works with heaven you say, Pastor, where you, why? How do you, where do you get that? Jesus said it. Store up for yourselves 
Why would he even use that analogy if there was not an inkling of truth, if there was not a sense that he was opening up heaven for us just for a moment to give us a glimpse? This is not about earning your salvation, by the way. Throughout Scripture, Paul, Jesus, Peter talk about reward. And I don't know how that's all going to work out. But Jesus says, store up treasures in heaven. Things are going to last forever. The things that we invest our time in, the things that we invest our money in, the things that we invest, you know, to help a church be planted, to help a local church become all that God has called it to be. You say, man, the moment you think or I think that we've wasted our money in any way, shape, or form doing something kingdom or eternal, look, you're not thinking the way you should be thinking. Because the moment we invest in the kingdom of God, the Bible tells us that it's been stored eternally. That's cool right there. I mean, to me, that, that, that makes me realize, you know what? That just unlocks an understanding of the kingdom of God in a greater level, level than I never understood before. Yes. Can't take it with you, but wait, you can. You certainly can. The second thing we need to understand about blessing Okay, because we have the action of giving, and that is literally to invest, to think in terms of that it's better to give than to receive. We open those doors up. You know, before I get to the next point, Jesus talked about two brothers or two people in the field, and, and, and the owner came and said, look, you guys need to get to work. One says, hey, no worries, I'll be there. I mean, I, you know, you see that sun coming up? As sure as that sun is coming up, I will be there in that field. You, you wait. I'm gonna be, man, I'm going to work harder than anybody you've ever known. It's going to get done. The fruit and, and, and everything's going to be stacked. It's going to be awesome. The owner looks at him and says, thank you. Thank you. And goes to the other guy. And the other guy's going, oh, come on, man. I stayed up late last night. I don't want to be here. I don't like work. Who likes work? That guy over there, he irritates me. I'm not really excited about going to work. Well, what happens is really interesting when we look at the story. It says the guy who was all reassuring and talking about having to go out there in the field never shows up. Never shows up. The other guy that had the bad attitude, he's out there working. Ah, he's complaining, struggling a little bit. But he's working, he's investing. He's doing what he's supposed to do. And it's interesting that Jesus would bring that whole concept. He said, look, I know that you struggle. I know that you've got to work through difficulties in this life. But at the end of the day, what have you done? You know? Man, I tell you what, if I could count, Jamie and I have talked about this before. Isn't it right, Jamie? How we've been in the Connection Center and people walk up to and say, Pastor, 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 this was the greatest worship experience of my life. You did, oh, man, the, 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 the word was right on. Uh, the, the worship just touched my life. This is a loving, gracious, awesome church. We will be back. No. Don't ever see him again. And we even get their number and call them, and they put us on, you know, do not call or block us. Hey, but you said you wanted to come back. You know, we changed our minds. You know, I'm playing. You know, 
It's not what we say with our mouth. It's what we do with our hands. We talk about giving, but are we really giving? We talk about investing. Are we really investing? Are we really storing up for treasures? You know, if we really had a little meter on our head that showed the actual amount of of eternal things that we're storing up, that would do a whole lot more, wouldn't it? If we're walking around, hey, dude, whoa, man, you're running low. It shows here you haven't given a daggone thing in the last year. You better get moving. Or you see this little child walk up and you got all these zeros. Man, look at that little kid. Whoa. Of the time, the energy, the love, the giving. Let's talk about the attitude here. Got a motor. Luke chapter 19, 6 and following. We know that Zacchaeus, he received Jesus joyfully. And what we find is that joy is a response to God's work that leads to more joyful response. See, there is a door of blessing. There's a door of happiness and joy. And you know what? It's funny. John Jacobs told us last week, last week, and I can't think of John Jacobs' name without saying John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt. Yeah, I just can't do it. But anyway, it just comes into my mind. Anyway, what he was telling us, that what, what he said, about 80% of the people are, are depressed. Remember he was talking about that? I didn't surprise me at all. But I thought to myself, is that because we're imploding that everybody's holding, that nobody's really giving anymore? That it's, are, is, it, is it because that our, what's going on is that people are hoarding, they're, 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 they're not sure of what's going to happen tomorrow, that hope is growing thin, that we're struggling, we're working, and, and, and yet, you know, as Christians, we should not allow that to hold us back from being what God has called us to be. And so, really, simply, there's a door of blessing. There's a door of happiness. There's a door of joy. And it's an, it comes through giving. He says it's more blessed to give than receive. Is give, receiving a good thing? Oh, yeah, man, look at Christmas Day all over the world. But you know what? All those little children's smiles, all of those coworkers who are surprised and shocked that you remembered them, all of those blessed people when they open up gifts that they weren't expecting is trumped by the person who was watching them open it, to look at it, to see my kids. You know, I I remember being one of those little kids. Seven kids, man, we had more presents in our house than should have been legal. And I don't know how my dad did it, but my dad, he was determined to have a, you know, I mean, I don't know what he did. I know he would probably take extra jobs and things like that so that we could have a, a, a Christmas like that. And now I see that. Now I understand it. Because even though I might have complained about having to buy what I bought, to see the joy on their face, to see them understand what receiving and being blessed is such a blessing to me. It uplifts my heart. It unlocks something. It absolutely destroys that spirit of selfishness that comes upon us. Jesus, you know, he knew his disciples were struggling with this, even as some of you are struggling with this right now. Man, I come on July 4th and the pastor's talking about giving. So Jesus is talking to his disciples and and they're all gathered around and and they're all going there, oh man, Jesus talking about all this money stuff again. Jesus says, guys, come with me. And they follow him. He walks him into the temple 
And he gathers them and lines them all up. And he says, guys, I'm going to show you what I'm talking about here. Here comes the Pharisees. Dun, 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 dun. They got their own little music dude coming beside them. Dun, 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 dun. The Pharisee's walking down the aisle, and he's got his, his tithe of mint, dill, cumin, whatever his treasure has been. He's giving it a percentage of it. You know, the Jews understood this, and they gave it. Boom. And then another one would come, and then a Sadducee, and they'd all be lined up making sure everybody saw. I just want everybody to know I'm giving my tithe now, laying it down. Then this little woman, little old woman, comes walking in, barely making it down the aisle. And she gives a widow's mite, what we call the widow's mite. And if, I don't know if you've ever seen it, I actually have one. And it's, it's the tiniest little thing. It's probably a third of a penny in actual weight. A third of a penny. Teeny tiny. Might buy you a piece of fruit. Or a loaf of bread. Don't know. She walked down that aisle and she put that into the basket. And you might look at that and say, and we would have looked at that and said, man, what a cheapskate. Is that all you could come up with? But Jesus, being all-knowing, omniscient, looked at that and said, that woman just gave all that she had. And that was being stored up. Now, you, you may say, well, are you advocating that poor people give what they ha all they have away? No, I'm not. But she understood something, that when she sowed that seed, that was going to multiply. No doubt, that, that woman right there understood that she could never outgive God, that there was something powerful. And Jesus called attention to it. And we could look at Jesus and say, and even as we look at that and just say, Jesus, why would you do that? Why would you, why, why would you, it, it almost seems like, um, you know, manipulation, or it seems like exploitation. But it wasn't at all. Because her gift was good. Because her heart was pure. And God looks at that and says, I am going to honor that. The attitude. The attitude. What it unlocks inside us is so much bigger than the gift itself. Matthew chapter 10, verse 8. Freely you have received, freely give. Hmm, Freedom. Freedom. We're talking about freedom this weekend. That how it was, what, purchased for us with blood. You know, there's no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. That's biblical. And in many cases throughout history, freedom was not and is not gained without the shedding of blood. Very interesting. Think about that. Think about that deeply, by the way. So many struggle to give freely or with any kind of joy. Why is that? It's a battle from beginning to end. Is that where you live? I mean, if you're sitting here today and you're struggling and you're and inside, I mean, I've got people that, that, that won't listen to a message like this, that they, and, and they just feel like it's manipulation or they go after tithing, which I tell you what, I, I can't get into that right now, but if people that want to go after giving, it's just like you, you're robbing. First of all, you're, you're going against what God teaches, but also you're robbing people of an opportunity to be blessed. Let's get back to that thought. If our attitude is a struggle, and we're not able to what? Freely give. You know, some of you asked to be helped in the nursery. There's a twitching inside your eyes, and you want to hide. You ask for a tithe of the first fruit of your wealth. We struggle with it. Should I do this? There is no freedom in it. That is because we are struggling with freely receiving. Isn't that interesting? 
that when we are not able, and I need to get to this because this is such a powerful point, but we're not able to freely give. It's, it's retroactive. It's going back to a, a deeper struggle inside your soul, and that is you're having a very difficult time receiving the love of God, having a difficult time receiving the forgiveness of God. You're having a difficult time receiving the grace of God because they don't connect. When we're able to freely receive and understand what Jesus has given to us, when we understand how much we have been forgiven, and we understand how many times God has truly blessed our socks off, and we've given honor and glory to God, then giving comes out of it as, as freely as we're able to receive. Isn't that a powerful point? It's a powerful point. And so if we're struggling, I mean, and that's, I mean, I tell you what, from now on, this is going to change the way you give when you start thinking this way. Because it's not that you're going to go all navel-gazing and, 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 and internalize, but it will cause you to stop a moment and say, okay, wait, 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 where am I struggling with the grace of God right now? Where am I not understanding? Where have I become constipated in the spirit? That's kind of crazy, but, it, it, you know, think about it that I'm all shut down, I'm all blocked up because I can't, I don't know how to give right now because I'm not eating the right stuff. I'm spending more time in legalism. You know what? People that spend a lot of time in legalism are the stingiest people I know. Stingy people. But people who understand the grace of God and walk in the freedom and the love and understand the freedom and, and they release people and they're not holding people's sins, they're not becoming the judge or the fruit inspector in place of the Holy Spirit. They're the people. When people that walk in the grace of God, they're able to freely give. I mean, it's, it's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. So you really, and I'm going to pray for you today, but man, if you're struggling there, you know, I'm not, we're not going to take up an offer, another offering here. Just not going to do it. Because this is all about what God wants to do inside us and how that impacts what we do with our hands, what we do with our legs, what we say with our mouth, and how we follow through. That is really the fruit. That's the true fruit. And that's between you and God. It's grace. Think about grace for a minute. Grace is getting something for nothing. Grace is being given Forgiveness of sin without us having to pay a dime. We do not have to earn our salvation. It's not deserved. There's not a one of us who deserve it over the other one. The lowest of low on the planet receives the greatest of gifts. The highest, the same. Grace is God doing for us, working for us, dying for us. We don't earn salvation, my friends. It's freely given. And we give of our lives and our resources in the very same way, with no strings attached. When we give and we have that constant, you know, now look, you owe me. I gave you this. And I expect to get something back in return from you. That's not freely giving. Now, I'm not talking about just the attitude of giving when you give. I'm talking about the attitude that follows the giving. And that pretty much should catch us all right there. <laughs> it should catch us all. Because there's some of us here who, you know, we're free. We can freely give. But, man, we sit there and we're just like, okay, now I'm, I'm, I'm going to watch my investment. I'm going to watch you. And I'm going to make sure I get back what I expect. 
And, you know, on one hand, there's, that's, that's honest. That's good. When we sow seeds, we should sow seeds into good soil. We should be wise. But does a farmer sit there and look at the seed all day? Does it, Keith? No. If Keith did that, Wanda would be calling the, the loony bin. They'd come for you, bud. Keith is out there. Honey, just come on. It's going to come up any minute. No, no, no. We don't do that. You move on. You move on with life, and you let God take care of it. Why do I teach on giving? Why does any pastor? Now, I'm not going to, well, I can't put every pastor in that, but I'll speak for myself. Because giving will absolutely transform your understanding of what you have been giving. Given, I'm sorry, given. It will change your heart. It will change your life. You will experience more of God's power through giving than ever anything that you receive. What? What are you talking about, Pastor David? I'm telling you the truth. Receiving is the easy part. All you have to do is open the gift. And there's going to be some testimonies coming to this, by the way. Let me finish with this verse, 2 Corinthians 2, 8 and and, and verse 7. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Now, I want to give you some historical background here. Macedonian churches, poor. Matter of fact, shall I insert our names in here? USA Today put our region as one of the third poorest regions in the United States. And everybody was scrambling. You remember that when, when they did that, brother? And, you know, all the city managers were scrambling to say, that's not true, that's not true. If we could add up all the numbers, well, but they put us, and they, and they kind of put us in the category of being the Macedonian churches. That's what I want you to see, is the Macedonian churches were some of the poorest churches around, okay? They had struggle, recession, depression, who knows what was going on financially, but they were very poor, did not have much. He says, look, let me point to these guys. In the midst of their very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty, how do those two words end up in the same sentence? Their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Hmm. For I testify that they give as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Hmm, sounds like a widow, widow's mite to me. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. You know, I do that often with the pastors. They're getting ready to plant a church, and I'm saying, look, I, I want in on this. Don't, don't turn your back on us. I mean, we may be just a, you know, a smaller church, but you mega churches, you can go out there and do that stuff. But look, we want in. We want a chance to be able to transform a nation. We want to be able to put you know, our widow's mite in the middle of what's going on there because, we, you know, because I know that's storing up heavenly treasures, man. He says, I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on there, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. There's the attitude of giving right there. We start by yielding to God, and then we yield ourselves to one another. So we urge Titus, just he had had earlier made a beginning, had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. 
But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, so that you may also excel in this grace of giving. Let me tell you what's happening here. Paul is dressing down the Corinthian church. He says, guys, you got a lot. You've been blessed. And here this group of very poor churches have outgiven you. You said, you can read the context, go and study it yourself. You said you guys were going to give. You guys said you were going to bless the other churches that you were going to have so that I could do the missionary journeys that God has called me to do. The Macedonian churches gave a whole lot more than we expected, but you guys said you're going to give and you haven't given yet. You can almost see a little bit of Paul's irony and a little sarcastic flair here when he says, you guys excel in everything. In faith, and no one beats the Corinthians. In speech, you guys really talk a great game. In knowledge, oh man, I've poured a lot of knowledge into you guys and you've shown me you really, really know everything. In complete earnestness and in the love we have kindled in you. And that was the little bit of the spanking. Paul comes in and says, look, you guys talk a big game. You guys are smarter than everybody else. You guys are the research triangle. You guys are the Richmonds. You guys are the D.C. But these guys down in little Roanoke Rapids, you know what? It just, I love to look in John Jacob's face. When he said, you guys, you guys supported six schools. I said, yeah, baby. <laughs> he said, and he told me afterward, he said, Pastor David, he said, I've been to a lot of churches. He said, but man, there is such a spirit of love and unity. There is such a giving heart here. He said, man, I, and this guy's traveled all over the world. And I was just going, yeah! You know, sorry. You know, forgive me a little pride there just for a moment. But, but only as a daddy and only as a father who has a heart for you. So I want to tell you guys, even though we might be figured the Macedonian churches, man, did we ever rise up. We showed them otherwise. In case you were thinking, I'm getting ready to take up another offering, that is. Because I want to praise you. I want to thank you. I want to tell you. I'm not here to dress you down. I'm here to thank you. I'm here to tell you that you have invested in something eternal. Do not think for one moment that what you were able to do, even out of your extreme poverty, even out of your struggle, even out of wondering what God is going to do next in your life, God is going to meet you there. And, and if you haven't experienced the joy already, man, we should be doing the happy dance. You got the happy song, Tate? Play the daggone happy song. Because that's where we should be. Yeah, that's right. See, when we have to parse and study and fight for every dime that we have and struggle with tithing, it sounds like to me that we're struggling with grace. And that's what was going on in the Corinthian church. You know what? You dig a little deeper with those guys, you find they were a mess. They were a mess. Man, they had incest going on in the church. They had fights. They had quarrels. Paul's over there going, oh, man, why can't they all be like the Philippians? These guys were a mess. And you knew, the reason why was because they had been so deeply ingrained in paganism. And Paul was trying to help them get free of that. So being smart and having everything doesn't always work in the end to having freedom. So he, anyway, I need to close it down here. 
Tithing is not meant to be a burden, but it's a response. It's not meant to be forced, but a free will offering. It's not meant to be eaten by us in our need, but given away with no strings attached. Personally, I have found that when I have given freely and with joy, then I've experienced the kind of outflow, like our young couple here. If that has happened once in my life, it's happened dozens of times where I've been able to sacrifice and, and do something that I know has eternal value, eternal value, something that is led by the Holy Spirit, something that has kingdom impact. What it's going to do is it's going to open up a happier life for us. It's going to help us walk in the kind of blessing that God has for us. Amen?